Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, April 5th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Writers, Wytran Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. So it's another week. Uh, we, we made it past April Fool's Day. That's good. Did did either or, of you get or fooled? Or did we? This Did is we? the biggest April Fool of all. Are we the greatest April Fools? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did did either of you get fooled by anything online? No. no. I don't think so. Thank God. I mean, I try to, I don't like April Fool's Day. It's a bad holiday and I never understood, not even a holiday. Like I remember one year I used to work at Barnes and Noble and I was in the, I was in the, the warehouse. <laughs> That's where I worked in the warehouse. And one of my coworkers who I've, I never even really had any conversations with. So I like, I don't know why, but she came running up to me and she was like, your car has a flat tire. I was like, oh shit. And I got outside and it was fine. <laughs> and she was like, April fools. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Cause I was like, so like, cause I was like, oh, now I got to pay to get this cut the tire fit. I was like, God damn it. Like I was very upset with this woman. <laughs> that's, that's my April fool story. I don't, I don't like it because people, I don't like people lying to me. Get out of here. I, anyway. I don't know. I think April fools is fine. I think. That ninety-five percent of people do not know how to do a good April Fool's Day joke. Ninety-five percent of people are doing what you just said, where it's like, or just like lying yeah. to people. Like lying is not <laughs> like that's not the fun thing. Like making up a news story and like creating a photoshopped image that looks real and is completely believable is what's the fun in that? Yeah, it's it's it, it needs to be like really absurd for me to even like yeah sort of what like is, it. what is absurd in this reality anymore anyways exactly like, yes the, real yeah, life has, has transcended the absurd yeah life is too we are all every day every one of us april fools we don't need a day <laughs> to mark the occasion i don't know it, we a long time ago before you guys were on slash film we we used to do these april fool's day stories but then i i begin to hate you know, all these people that are <laughs> doing them badly so much that we stopped doing them. But we, we did, um, I don't know. Like for me, it's good when 
the story starts out where it's a little weird, but like it's believable. And then you go and you read it. And then like, as you start reading it, it just gets more and progressively and progressively like more ridiculous to the point of like, wait, is this real? And then it's like April Fool's. Like, like I feel like that Python joke. Yeah. But if you're just yeah. like making something up, that's like totally could be legit. What's. Yeah, I never understood that where it's like it'll be like a fake casting announcement and nothing's weird about it. And then at the, like the end of the story, it'll be like, click here for the source. And you click on it. and It's like April Fool's like, fuck you. This was not funny at all. Get out of here. Uh, OK, let's jump into the news today. I'm, I'm, I'm now thinking, like, is this Knives Out 2 and 3 story? Is this an April Fool's Day joke? No, this actually happened, Peter, I think. <laughs> now you have me questioning Yeah, reality. because, like, I, I thought this might be a little ridiculous because they Netflix is going to be doing the Knives Out sequels. They're going to complete the Knives Out trilogy. I guess they, right. didn't, they, they didn't frame it in that way. But they're spending a lot of money to do it. I don't know. T- t- tell us about it, Chris. Yeah, so Netflix j- is plopping down reportedly. We don't know the exact number, but it's reported to be somewhere in the $450 million range for the rights to Knives Out 2 and Knives Out 3. And I actually didn't realize this, but Ryan Johnson actually is, uh, him and the producer, uh, Ram Bergman, actually own the rights to Knives Out, which is very smart on his part. I didn't realize that, but this means Ryan Johnson is going to get a huge payday to do this, and he's going to direct Knives Out 2 and Knives Out 3. And um, Daniel Craig is expected to come back for both of them. Um, it's worth pointing out that these films are meant to be, you know, standalone mysteries. So the, the star studded cast from the first film will not be back. It's going to be a whole new cast of new suspects. And then knives out three is presumably going to do the same thing where it brings in a whole new cast. And that's exciting. I'm very um, interested to see who ends up in these movies. Um, by all accounts, uh, casting is supposed to begin immediately. So I'm, I'm going to assume we're going to find out who else is in this movie very soon because uh, production is going to start on June 28th in Greece, which also gives us a hint of what to expect, which, you know, the first film obviously is set in America, but it sounds like the second one is going to be set in Greece. Yeah, it's very rare when the filmmaker actually owns the rights to the characters in the story. Like I I know Kevin Smith did it. I I feel like it happens in instances where it's like a small film that no one thinks is ever going to even have a sequel. You know what I mean? Like no one thought Clark's was going to have sequel. I mean, yeah, no knives out was a huge hit. And like, I don't think anyone expected it to be as big as it was. Cause it's, I don't, you know, I don't want to know how original you want to call it because it's, it's technically riffing off of, you know, Agatha Christie stories and stuff like that. But yeah, but at the same time, it was it's an outlier. It's a, it's a standalone movie. At the, I mean, it's not anymore. It's going to be sequels, but it's a standalone movie that's not based on comic books or existing property. And Hollywood is very um, wishy-washy on that these days. So I don't think anyone expected this to be the big hit that it was. But, you know, it got such good reviews and that word of mouth carried over and it had such an interesting, exciting cast that people went and saw it. And... I guess there's kind of like a sadness to this story because, you know, Knives Out broke the mold. It did what everyone thought couldn't happen anymore. It was an original adult movie that ended up being a hit on theaters. And now immediately 
its sequels are going directly to Netflix. So it's like even when when adult movies win, they kind of lose because we we just, we just can't have nice things these days. Hey, if anything makes money, they gotta make more money. Oh yeah, yeah, that's the that's the plan. I, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that all of us like Knives Out, um, and we all love Ryan Johnson as a filmmaker and as a storyteller. But I, I feel weird about this story because they're paying how much? Four hundred fifty million dollars or something like that. Yeah, but at least that's that's what the estimate is about four hundred fifty million. Now the first film films. was like a huge hit, but that's because right. it was made for forty million dollars and made. 300 million or 311 million so it made you know almost 10 times its budget in theaters and probably more on you know dvd and streaming and all that stuff but i don't know like it doesn't (laughs) as much as i like ryan and i like knives out and i want to see more sequels to you know in this universe i'm skeptical of well i guess netflix doesn't care right like they don't need yeah i mean netflix has apparently bottomless pockets i mean by all accounts they're badly in debt but that's not stopping them from being like here's 450 million dollars so i mean you know hey if, if they if they want to do it who am i to say no also netflix please give me some money the the other thing I, i'm curious about is you mentioned that this is a sequel but it really isn't because it's just another adventure of this um what's Benoit his name Blanc. yeah so he's the only re- returning character are people going to be excited for more if it doesn't have that same all-star ensemble cast i mean yeah i guess it's really going to depend on who ends up in this film i'm guessing ryan john is going to take a similar approach where he's going to put together another all-star cast full of very recognizable people and uh i'm guessing that'll help but uh yeah i'm i'm that's like my most interesting what i'm most interested about is finding out who's going to be in this second movie because I'm dying to see who comes together. Because I, I remember covering the first film and like it felt like every week they were announcing a new <laughs> cast member and it was like one exciting name after another. And I was like, God damn, this movie's going to be great. And it yeah. was. So <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious to see how that how that all shakes out this time. Yeah, and I want to be clear. I have no doubt that this movie, these movies are probably going to be great. I guess my my. My cynicalness is in the business side of things, and yeah, you're wondering if this property is really worth 450 million dollars, which I do think is a fair question because it's you know it's for all intents and purposes it's these are movies about people in rooms having conversations. You know these aren't these aren't Star Wars sequels, so yeah. I, I do think it's a legitimate question to ask. But at the same time, it's like if Netflix is willing to pay that, you yeah. know. More, more power to you, Ryan Johnson. I'm glad you're getting that big payday. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't really care because in the end we win, right? Yeah, we all win here. Every one of us. The only person who could lose is Netflix. And they yeah. they will never tell us that they lost <laughs> because they'll never <laughs> even right. release the numbers. So Yeah, they, they'll lie and be like, it, uh, every was the biggest hit of all time. Try to take our word for this. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, our next story is about an animation studio that's going to be producing the first live action film, HT. Tell us about it. Yes, so Laika, the animation studio behind stop-motion hits like Coraline, Kubo and the Two Strings, Paranorman, is entering the live-action uh, arena. They are producing their first live, first ever live-action movie. It's an action thriller called Seventeen, based on author and screenwriter John Bronlow's uh, upcoming first novel. They apparently secured the rights to Seventeen in an intense bidding war, um, and they plan to make Seventeen their sixth Ever feature, um, and there doesn't. There's no 
confirmation yet on whether they are pivoting exclusively now to live action or whether they're going to be making live action and stop motion on the side. This appears to be a purely live action film, not a hybrid film, um, like part stop motion, part live action. But uh, yeah, this is a a very strange and um, kind of concerning piece of news from Leica, but um, it seems that uh, CEO Travis Knight is very excited about this move. He himself made the crossover into live action with uh, the Transformers prequel Bumblebee, which was surprisingly good. And maybe he he caught the, the live action bug and is taking Leica over with him. Yeah. Well, Leica has had a claim over the years. Like their, their films and stories are well loved by critics and audiences. They haven't really done, you know, the big box office numbers uh, since like maybe Coraline, I guess. Um, yeah, Coraline was their biggest hit and then it went uh, uh, progressively downward since then. Yeah. Missing Link, I think, didn't make back any of the money that they put into it. Yeah, and uh, uh, Travis Knight, he's the son of, uh, what, Philip Knight, who owns Nike. So, I mean, there's some money behind it, but I'm sure, you know, <laughs> whenever there's money behind anything, they want to make their money back. So I, I, I don't know. This reminds me of Pixar because at one point Brad Bird wanted to make his transition into live action films, which he ended up doing. But he was doing he wanted to do that earthquake film. The uh, what was it? 1906 or something. Is that it? Right. 1906. I think, I think so. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there was talk of uh, Pixar being like doing the live action film or at least doing the computer effects of the film. And that never happened. Pixar never made that jump to live action. HD, what do you, what is this, what is this story even about? I, I should start there. The story of 17? Yeah. So uh, we don't know anything about the story of 17, but it's described as a thriller with a soul, uh, according to Travis Knight, who calls it a sinuous adrenaline fueled actioner with a sincere heart beating underneath its rippling pectorals. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, there's really no information about 17 so far. It's just, uh, it's that a thriller. This novel has not yet been published. So it's just really up in the air about what, what this film will be and what it's actually about. So yeah, it's, it's a big question mark right now. (laughs) Does does Travis Knight actually talk like that? Or did he submit a quote via email and like made it sound all... I mean, it's probably the latter. It's a state. It's like one. Of, it's a statement yeah. from Travis Knight. It's not like I don't think he was just <laughs> rattling this off at the top of his head. Yeah. What do you think? I know you are a fan of like uh, you. You like some of their movies. What do you think about them making the transition to live action? Um, I'm a I have a little trepidation over the whole thing. I actually got to visit uh, like a studio in Oregon uh, for the production of Missing Link and the the technology that they use and the dedication that they have is is really astounding. It's like it's one of the rare studios to really dedicate itself fully to stop motion animation and the the things that they're pioneering which is like such as a uh, um 3D printing and other and CG technologies to sort of complement stop motion animation is just really exciting and feels like uh it's such a innovative way of approaching an animation genre that is uh, not as fully explored as CG animation. So I um, I was really excited to see like what they have uh, like moving forward, but you're right. They don't make any money. Missing Link <laughs> made like zero of its money back and it was one of their most expensive pr- uh, productions. And so if they're doing this as a way to, to fund 
the the, <laughs> the stop motion animation projects, the passion projects, then more power to them. But I hope it's not a, a permanent pivot. I wonder if there could be a stop motion component to this. Do we know for for a fact that there isn't like that? I don't know what I'm picturing, but like maybe there could be like a little doll that comes to life and it's done in stop motion alongside the live there, action. There should maybe just like be the Harryhausen like, movies. Yeah, there should be like an entire character who is stop motion and they never address it in the movie. He's just like walking around talking to everybody <laughs> like his giant puppet. Yeah, yeah. There are no details uh, in this like announcement uh, of there being any stop motion component. So it seems that it's fully live action for now, but there's also no denial that it will have any stop motion either. I am so interested in like, uh, I've also visited their studio for um, Paranorman and they're such an interesting company because they're doing all this like handcrafted, you know, hand animated work. But at the same time, they're like pushing the innovation of that where they actually animate the characters in a computer and then they print, they 3D print the all the little expressions, all the like micro movements of the face to and then paint them. So like, it, is there even a purpose at that point of stop motion animating it if you're just like putting in, you know, the little blocks for the face to animate it that was animated inside the computer? Oh, no. Uh, I, I feel like that's a, a whole other discussion. Yeah, <laughs> I know we're getting way off off track here, but I'm I'm curious to see where they go because they've they've always been an interesting company that are doing interesting things, and uh, you know I would I would never write them out. So I'm I'm curious to see what happens with Seventeen. Uh, let, let's talk about James Cameron, another interesting filmmaker who is making a bunch of big budget sequels, which uh, he he almost fired the entire writers' room of. Chris, tell us about that. Yes. So, so James Cameron uh, put together a, a writer's room for his Avatar sequels. And that's that itself is nothing new. A lot of these big uh, franchise films, even if they have like one credited writer, will often have a writer's room, like a TV show kicking around ideas. And according to Cameron, he, when he got them all together, he didn't want to hear anyone's new ideas. He didn't want to hear about where the story was going to go with Avatar. Instead, he wanted everyone to sit around trying to crack uh, the formula that made the first film such a success. Uh, he said, quote, when I sat down to write the sequels, I knew there were going to be three at the time, and eventually it turned into four. I put together a group of writers and said, I don't want to hear anybody's new ideas or anyone's pitches until we have spent some time figuring out what worked on the first film, what connected and why it worked. And according to Cameron, even though he told them this, they they couldn't grasp this idea and they kept pitching new ideas to the point where he says he threatened to fire everyone until they finally got on board with uh, what he wanted. So uh, (laughs) this story presupposes that what made Avatar work was its story, (laughs) which I don't think anyone except James Cameron thinks is true. Um, Like, I don't want to knock Avatar. I know it, it clearly has a fandom. It's the, it's the most successful movie of all time, but I really think, most people can agree what made Avatar such a big deal was one, it had this, you know, cutting edge groundbreaking technology. And two, it was a 3d movie uh, in an era when 3d had kind of just disappeared. And James Cameron found a way to sort of bring it back and make it better than it had ever looked before. And that also jacked up ticket prices. And 
I feel like that's the reason Avatar was a hit, not the story, because the story is basically just Pocahontas in space. So I'm really not sure why James Cameron thinks that like there's some secret formula here, but he does. And, you know, who am I to question James Cameron? James Cameron obviously knows more about making movies than I do, you know, so uh, I guess I should really just defer to his expertise here. But at the same time, I can't help but read the story and be like, man, James Cameron, I don't I don't think you understand why you're, this movie was a hit to begin with. I would pay good money that when these Avatar sequels come out and they end up releasing that like huge box set of, I guess they won't have physical media by the time movies end up coming out, uh, a huge digital box set on my Apple TV. Uh, I want a special feature where we get to see the unedited from the writer's room of them trying to dissect what made Avatar... <laughs> A successful film. What connected? Yeah. And uh, Cameron did um, provide sort of a a breakdown of how he approached this. Um, you can read uh, that on SlashFilm.com, but it, it's a three-tiered approach. The first tier is, quote, the surface storyline. The second tier is the spiritualism and themes of capitalism. And then the third one is a lot more detailed, and I, I would encourage everyone to go to slash on.com and, and read into that. But again, I wait, do you, do, I, do you think people, I know you're like very dismissive of the plot of avatar. And I would say, while the plot of avatar is very simple, it is based on that. The same like mythic hero's journey. Right. Storytelling that, you know, you know, stories have been told since like cavemen, you know, yeah. you know for, for many centuries. So maybe there is something there, even though like you're being dismissive of that. But aside, that aside, do you think that the the message of the first Avatar is something that like made that successful? The whole no. Again, yeah, yeah. look, I'm 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 not saying these movies don't have a story. They they do have a story. I'm just saying I don't think the story is the secret to Avatar's massive success. But that's that's my humble opinion, and I'm I'm perfectly willing to. Uh, listen to someone else's opinion on the matter. Well, I again, I wouldn't bet against James Cameron. He's one of the. No, I mean, look, J- yeah. J- James Cameron rules. Like, look, I, I'm not interested in more Avatar movies, but James Cameron, you know, fucking kicks ass. He is a great filmmaker. So, uh, as little interest as I have in a new Avatar movie, I will absolutely see it when it comes out. Just because it's been so long since we've had a new James Cameron movie. Okay, speaking of innovative filmmakers. Okay, uh, I'm trying to make a transition here. That, that, that one didn't really work. Visionary filmmaker, uh, visionary here? filmmaker. Yeah, uh, let's talk about Zack Snyder's Justice League, uh, which came out online on HBO Max, and we now have some details of how many people actually watched this thing. And but by the way, I'll, I'll preface this to say that HBO and Warner Brothers is not actually releasing numbers to the such. They probably will never release these kind of numbers. All the stuff is done by third party analytic companies that uh this one i think uses like it's installed on people's smart tvs and monitors what they watch and stuff like that so uh, it's kind of like nielsen in a way but you know it's a small sampling of the overall of what people have watched so that aside hd tell us about it yeah not that many details because like you said hbo and uh, hbo max and every other streamer will never release numbers because they don't want us to know if it's a success or if it's a hit unless they want to want us exactly to know really it's a success. Um, so 
uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, uh, according to third-party aggregator Samba TV, ha- was watched by 2.2 million households in its first week of release. But what does a watch mean for Samba TV? Uh, it counts households that watched at least five minutes of the program, which is not a lot when you consider that the movie is 242 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes down to people who sat through all four wait, wait, hours... Wait, wait, wait. Before you get to that, I'm just wondering, like, would you consider in one week 2.2 million households, is that a success for HBO? Like, do you think that's enough people? I guess a relative success because HBO Max is still a a, a fledgling streaming service. But uh, yeah, I guess it's yeah a moderate success in a way. It's nothing compared to a, a box office return, of course. But um, yeah, I, I I don't know. But what, what would you consider? Would you consider it a success? I don't know. That doesn't seem like a lot of people to me, but. You know what? Are those pe- how much? How much is HBO Max? Does anybody here actually know how much HBO Max costs? It's a lot of money. I have it, and I already forget what I. But I know it's it's not <laughs> it's not one of the cheaper streaming. Is it? I feel like, like it's like twenty dollars, twenty dollars. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, this is just the first week, and let's say it's uh, eighteen dollars. I'm just gonna. That's uh, you know, that's forty million dollars. How much did the the reshoots and to finish this movie cost? Seventy, 70 million dollars. Also, I just looked it up, and it looks like HBO Max has about this is an estimate 120 million to 150 million global subscribers. Is that I don't know if how accurate that is. So, if you want to figure that into how many of them actually watched five minutes, so, you, so, so you're saying like one percent or one point five percent or something like that. I mean, this is like the first thing that came up when I googled it. So, yeah. for all I know, this is not. That, Wait, could, right, that, could, a, that could be all of HBO. That might not be HBO Max. That seems like yeah, a Yeah, because there's the people who haven't activated their HBO Max So according to. According to the Hollywood Reporter in January of this year, HBO Max now reaches 37.7 million total subscribers. So Ooh. that's... And then how many million watched it again, HT? 2.2 million. So, so this whatever. is like 7% or 8% something like that? I'm, I'm doing that math in my head. That could be wrong. Uh I mean, that, I don't know. I'm wondering if that's a success. I'm wondering if, if HBO would consider that a success. Uh, but but there's a second part to the story because, you know, when I was watching this, I said this on the podcast, you know, I, I thought the movie was coming to a closure, it was coming to a third act battle, and I clicked on my remote to see how much how much time was left in this movie. And it was still, like, an hour and a half left after, you know, I thought that, like, we were coming to a point where, you know, everything was coming to an end. Uh, but HD, how many people actually finished this thing? Yes, of those 2.2 million households who uh, watched Zack Snyder's Justice League, only, the only people who sat through all four hours uh, was 800,000 people, which is only 36% of 2.2 million. Okay, devil's advocate here. This is a long movie. And I think, Chris, you even said you didn't watch it in one setting, right? Yeah, I watched it over two days. I did too. Yeah, and I, I think, honestly, I think this movie would have been better released into those chapters as, like, episodes weekly because I feel like that would have been more digestible. I know, Chris, you disagree on that one, but I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm playing the, you know, the Zack Snyder fan point of view here. Maybe those people didn't finish it in the first week, but maybe they finished it in the second week, right? Would that count as another watch or as the same watch? Oh, I don't That's know. That's the question. 
according to Samba TV, I don't know. That's a good... <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's interesting. I, I think the bottom line is we'll, we will not know if this is a real success or not until HBO hashtag restores the Snyderverse. No, don't. <laughs> hey, I'm not. I'm not saying it should happen, but if they do do it, if they if they do give Snyder a you know nightmare verse movie or TV show, then we'll know that it was all worth it for them. But if it doesn't happen, then I would consider this an experiment. I don't know. I mean, who knows? Uh, but it, I mean, if if all the and the other thing we we don't know is like when we were figuring out that that math equation of all those people and if they all paid for HBO max, um, how much that would bring to HBO, you know, all those people didn't subscribe to HBO max to watch this. That was just how many subscribers actually watched it. So it, I guess the real question is how many, how many people yeah. that weren't subscribed, subscribed for justice league. And again, again, I don't think Warner brothers is going to be feeling those numbers, but I would, I'd be very interested to find out. Um, oh, uh, last week we had some big news. Uh, Warner Brothers canceled some of the DCEU movies, some of the th- things that we were like most excited for. Chris, tell us about it. Yes. So New Gods, which is going to be directed by Ava DuVernay and The Trench, which was going to be a horror movie spinoff of Aquaman, uh, have both been canceled by Warner Brothers um, for various reasons. Uh, it, it boils down to... Uh, for one thing, New Gods was going to have Darkseid as a villain. And according to the report, Warner Brothers doesn't want to have Darkseid as a villain again so soon after Zack uh, Snyder's Justice League, which seems like a very weird excuse to me. And then for the trench, they're just saying... Wait, they wait a like, second, but they, they're having Batman so soon after and then Joker yeah, I, so soon after. Like I said, like I, I really don't buy that excuse at all. And then the, the trench excuse is that they felt like, well, we're making an Aquaman sequel and that's really all we need. We don't need any more Aquaman spinoffs, which again seems like a, a goofy uh, excuse because Aquaman was a huge hit. It was a, a massive blockbuster. Like, wouldn't they want to cash in on that more? I, I guess, That's what I would assume, but I guess not. And it sounds like instead they're more interested in reassembling not not the Snyderverse but more of a coherent cinematic universe because right now things are sort of up in the air and uh, you know uh, the the timeline is a little screwy and the understanding is that uh the Flash movie which deals with altered dimensions and time travel and all this stuff is going to sort of set things right in a way that sort of gets the the DCEU or whatever you want to call it back on track to being one big coherent thing and then there's also going to be matt reeves batman movie which is going to be set on earth too so that's like that's a completely different thing but uh i i don't like any of this <laughs> honestly it just sounds like Warner brothers didn't learn the right lessons here like they they tried to make a cinematic universe um and it sort of backfired and then they made their standalone joker movie which wasn't related to the dceu and that was a big hit and it won oscars and i thought the lesson they would have learned here is okay we don't have to worry about cinematic universes we should worry more about individual good movies but that apparently is not the case and you'd think they would want to be in the james wan business 
further. Yeah, I mean, he's directing Aquaman 2 for them, so I would assume, like, why wouldn't they want to keep him on board producing stuff? But, uh, yeah, they're just not doing that. Okay, we have run over time, so I'm going to put an end to today's episode. You can find more of all the work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please head on over to our Apple podcast page. Give us a rating. Write us a review. Spend five seconds of your time. Write us a sentence on why you love this show, and that helps us so much. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow.